the LSI Behind the Wind podcast. I'm Lauren Lane. For 50 years now, the LSI team has dedicated themselves to the science of business development. We've seen the impact of our work and how it's evolved into economic development and now social impact work. This week, Sean is joined by our Chief Human Resources Officer, Jessica Dixon, to discuss the labor market, how the LSI team identifies potential candidates when interviewing for a position, advice for beefing up your resume, the debate on productivity, culture, and mentorship when individuals work from home, and how Sean sees the LSI workforce evolving over the next 10 to 20 years. This is a packed episode, so let's dive in. Jessica, thanks for joining me on this episode. It's been a long time since we have done one of these, and I'm excited to have you back, and we've got a lot to talk about. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and kind of pick up where we left off a while ago. <laughs> well, like I said, well, there's there's a lot that uh, I'd like to go through with you on this episode, and I doubt we'll get through everything again, but it's been busy over the last year or more, and we've hired a lot of new people, and I think we've seen a lot of changes in uh, the marketplace in general. What do you see from your team and in general in in the labor market and uh, in terms of recruiting and retaining talent? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I actually was fortunate enough to join a presentation or to watch a presentation from Utah chief economist, Mark Nold. He works for Utah's Department of Workforce Services just this last Friday. And he actually covered a lot of really interesting information about the labor shortage that the nation is facing right now. What I found to be really fascinating is that a lot of it is largely driven by population and changes we've seen in population. The baby boomer generation is aging out of the workforce. And he even showed a graph. So you can see the expansion of population that created all these new jobs that, you know, we had to create all these new jobs. And now as folks are aging out or, you know, choosing to retire, maybe, maybe reluctantly or not reluctantly (laughs) that it's leaving all these jobs. There are more, I would say we would assumably there are more senior level jobs and then naturally things kind of move up. So comparatively for the nation kind of has this problem. And then 2021 was the first year that our population didn't grow. It was like 0.1% of growth in 2021. All the pandemic babies, you know, didn't really cancel anything out. And so it's, it's really interesting because now that leaves us with this surplus of jobs um, and not enough folks to fill them. Utah, however, did a great job with population and reproducing the baby boomer group. So we are a little bit more, the state of Utah is faring better in terms of labor, available labor by comparison to the country. So I think it's interesting because we look at recent kind of events like the pandemic and how that changed how work gets done in the, in the country and naturally kind of linked to that where Mark suggested it was kind of a perfect storm that we have this population, you know, this, this large generation that's leaving the workforce. We don't have enough folks coming behind them to, to kind of fill these spots. We have a global pandemic 
Um, we have a housing shortage. I mean, there's all this stuff that kind of comes to a head. And now we have these like markedly low unemployment rates that are insane. And it's so hard to find folks because there are just way more jobs than people. So in terms of solutions, I mean, he, he offered a few, which I found to be interesting of, we saw 2016, you know, international immigration decreased, you know, significantly. So bringing folks in is one, obviously, if we want to incentivize more births and things like that, that's a long-term strategy. It's going to take a while (laughs) or, you know, robots and AI, but robots and AI don't buy houses or groceries or anything like that. So how it impacts each individual employer is they're having a hard time filling their positions and it's become more important now than ever to retain folks to keep your, uh, it's better to keep your employees than it is to get new ones. It's easier most of the time. So I don't know if that answered the question. I I think that's fantastic. Do, Do you feel overall that the labor market now is starting to soften a bit that it's been so tight for the last two years, really, but um, do you see people looking more so over the last two years? Yeah. I think so. I mean, I I think we know with the pandemic, that was kind of the first time that a lot of people were really faced with the decision of putting their well-being or their health over their jobs in some cases. I wouldn't say that for us. We've been pretty fortunate, but when you look at the healthcare industry, even folks in, you know, hospitality or retail wasn't necessarily safety or health impact, but definitely was an impact economically. If, you know, everyone was home, people weren't going to restaurants. So we saw sort of like, like this mass exodus in those entry level positions. And so if if I'm a if I'm a retailer, or if I'm a restaurant, I think the shortage is definitely still prevalent. I think they're still feeling it because it's hard to find folks that have either kind of progressed their skills and development up into these more senior level positions that are now becoming vacant, or they're just deciding maybe this is not what I want to do. We saw sort of a change in influx and gig economy. So for many employers. Yeah, I think that it's still really there, but you know, the challenges are there, but I think for others, they're probably starting to see a a little bit of a break in terms of, you know, softening. I know candidate flow is not the same. We used to see hundreds of, you know, applications online for jobs that were posted. And now it's really common. A lot of employers are saying, I don't, we're not getting hardly any because inversely, if you go look for a job where there used to be, you know, two or three postings, you know, now there's literally hundreds with remote work. I would say five years ago, you would never really look and see that many opportunities, but now it's just, there's so much opportunity to kind of cast a wider net, creating more competition. Absolutely. I've been so impressed with what you and your team have done in building just our growth in the company, some of the attrition that we've had. And will you talk for just a minute about your overall strategy in identifying good candidates? I'm just amazed at the quality of candidates you and the HR team 
bring into the corporation? What is your process and what are you looking for? It's a great question. I certainly can't take credit for the amazing candidate flow that we've had. Um, Darcy on the team is an incredible asset in that arena, especially she has such a a rich background in staffing recruiting. So I knew that coming in and, and I knew that that was her background and that we needed that. She has really a great knack for going out and sourcing folks. So in terms of strategy, it's important to understand upfront the most you can about what kind of person or what kind of skill set is needed for each role. It's almost ad nauseum. I think the hiring managers are probably like, how many more? Like, do you need to know what they like, what kind of cereal this person will like? I don't know. But it's true that the more information we can gather up front, the better we can really go out and either find them or screen them as they come in. So understanding truly everything about it, um, having a clear understanding of who they'll be working with, what they'll be doing. What do our clients need? What are our clients asking for? What are they having a hard time finding? It helps us to know upfront. And then keeping that engagement and interaction, the, the interaction with folks engaging and being able to tell the story of LSI and what the position will be doing, how they'll add value. I think that's what pe- we're finding people are looking for. Whereas before, I think five, four years ago, you would talk about your compensation and your benefits. (laughs) And I think the pandemic caused a lot of people, or even just maybe it's generational, I don't know, but there's a a higher emphasis on purpose that people feel that what they're doing is making a difference. And maybe that's because millennials, we always, you know, we always wanted to just change the world. I don't know, but there's definitely a sense of purpose or, or belonging that's a driver for for people to be satisfied. And then, you know, it helps to be um, flexible uh, about where folks work. It helps to offer flexible benefits. It helps to try to just meet what people's needs are without kind of veering too far away from who you are as an organization, what what you want. What advice do you have for individuals interested in working for a company, are there some, th- <laughs> let me tell you a funny story. So we've got a big client that said they're pursuing a large grant uh, with the Department of Education. And this grant is working with middle school and high school students, mentoring them on life skills. So I, I, said, <laughs> I said to the CEO of this company, what does that mean? What kind like what kind of life skills like uh, balancing a checkbook? And he just started cracking up. He said nobody balances a checkbook anymore. So when I think about you and the team looking at resumes, you don't look at resumes anymore, right? What is it that tell me the mechanics of what you're looking for, what platforms are you using? I mean, I know that we use LinkedIn a lot, and I hope you don't mind me saying that, but what is it that you and the team are really looking for, and what are the mechanics behind that? Okay. 
That's a great question. And I wish I had learned life skills like that when I was younger. And now what, what I used to learn how to fill out a job application with pen and paper is now not really relevant anymore. So it's funny. We use an ATS, an applicant tracking system to keep all of our applicants in one place, which is really critical. I think that's important from a procedural perspective that all of, when we put a posting on our website, on our careers page, it goes out to, you know, LinkedIn, Indeed, whatever. Um, We can boost it. There's thousands on there that are, you know, really relevant. If we had to, you know, something specific that we wanted to push to, we could. And we gather applications. We can add questions up front, which we've started doing to help kind of vet the candidates, but we don't have to waste too much time going back and forth because we want a shorter cycle for the recruiting process, knowing that there's a likelihood that each, when they go in and fill out an application for us, we're not the only one that they've applied to. So we want to move quickly. We want to get to know them quickly. When we look at resumes, I mean, like I said, Darcy is amazing. I know she's looking for relevant experience. That's what I'm looking for. I'll be honest, degrees aren't really that important anymore. I agree. I hate to say that because I'm still paying student loans for mine, but it's stuff it, like those are things that used to be so critical and, the, and it's almost like you want to have them on there but as we put out postings we've started to question maybe we don't need a bachelor's degree and, and when I say that it is important to have one I think but this is what I tell all my nieces and nephews and is you know employers want to see that you can do something hard that you can you can commit to something and you can finish it it's your degree is the longest project group project individual project you've ever done and so it's important to see that but it's not necessarily i know when in my hr degree i got way more experience in the work world than i could have dreamed in college it's important to have some foundational knowledge but it's not really critical anymore. So that's a big change that we've seen in the market. And certifications are usually a little bit more relevant to the work products that we're asking for. So we look at those types of things, relevant experience. It's important to use keywords in the postings when you update your resume. It amazes me that so a lot of advice recruiters and employers will give to job seekers is make sure that you're adapting your resume to meet what's in the posting, or at least you're sharing relevant experience. And that's really helpful because it helps us understand how that experience kind of meets the what the job is. Some people don't, and that's okay, but I, I will say it they, they might get not get put up to the front if they don't have as many words. And some ATSs will actually do that for you. There's another AI, artificial intelligence kind of nod to that has taken out where someone may use to screen for keywords. Now, some systems will do it for you. So that's, that's cool. So when you're looking to fill a position, your team is spending a lot of time with the department, with their peers and understanding exactly an in-depth overview of what the job entails, what the position expectations are, you're then translating that information into a job posting. 
you're now looking at these applicants and, and you feed those into our ATS, what then criteria are you looking at to, to prioritize and, and rank these various candidates? Mm-hmm. Relevant work history or work experience is number one. I, we want to be able to see impact that they can translate on a resume. It's always great to translate that instead of, you know, managed book of business. You want to say managed a book of business of X. And, you know, this is, these were the revenue driven, things like that. So we're looking at that. And as we kind of gather those up, then we want to put forward the best candidates to the hiring manager. And we usually will like to get their review on the resume, especially initially, if it's a first, a new, a new position or a position that we haven't had to recruit for recently, it always helps to just calibrate where you're at. Cause we know some positions more than others. Um, yeah. And a hiring manager, we have some feedback like, oh, this might go in, the, in a different direction. So we want to share that up front and make sure we're on the right path. And then We'll do usually an initial screen to talk to the individual, kind of gauge what it is they're looking for, why they're looking. You know, I think people have gotten pretty good at interviewing. They kind of know what to say, what not to say, but red flags are usually if they're kind of blasting their current employer, that that's a little bit of a red flag because now you're kind of wondering, are they going to blast us? You know, (laughs) there's things like that, that you always want to steer clear for, but like I said, a lot of people know what to say, but you can kind of tell when there's genuine, when there's authenticity versus kind of fluff. So we'll try to vet that out. We try not to be, give any, you know, kind of biased information and, and anything that, you know, could sway the hiring manager from, you know, we'll share, Hey, it took us about six or seven times to get a hold of this person, or, you know, there might be things like that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they couldn't be a great fit for the role. Maybe they just, you know, were on vacation or who knows, but there's certain things that we'll kind of identify and share, or, you know, that's part of that process. So a lot of, I mean, it, it, it is very subjective. I love that you've tried to quantitate this criteria in, in prioritizing candidates. If you're a candidate applying for one of our positions, what is it that you should be emphasizing in your response? Yeah, I mean, well, it's hard to say because what we would look for, for say the office manager we just hired versus you know a career advocate versus, uh, you know, a proposal manager might be a little different. If they have, when I say relevant work experience, it doesn't necessarily need to be the same thing. For example, if if I'm looking for an HR person, uh, maybe a generalist, and they have a lot of years in, in management, then that's usually a good transferable skill. A lot of our positions right now that we're looking for have some overlay into kind of working with government. So having that is usually a bit a a differentiator knowing that they don't, that's, I'm already, I'm still in that learning curve coming from the private sector. So 
knowing that they have that. It doesn't mean we rule anyone else out, but it, it's usually a, a differentiator. If folks have experience with in the government or working in the public sector, that's helpful for a lot of our positions. If they are, obviously we want grammar to be great. We want all of that to be sound. We don't want a lot of misspellings on a resume, but that suggests that they pay attention to detail, that they're thorough. So if I'm looking for an accounting person, we want to make sure that all of that you know, kind of checks out. So in terms of like experience, but there's, it's hard to say one single thing for all of our open positions. If it's a position in business development and I, or excuse me, economic development and social impact, having experience with some of these programs or social programs or, you know, public programs are helpful. So that's, I, I guess that's, that's really right. the one thing. Yeah. Are you still requesting resumes from candidates? Is is there a benefit to receiving a hard copy of a candidate's resume versus them just saying, here's my LinkedIn profile, you can go look at my experience? If so, yeah. what, what advice do you have in compiling a resume? Yeah, I we are. We still want to see a resume or at least a summary of what they've done. I will say having referrals is great. A lot of organizations do re- really rely on referrals as candidates. And that's been, I think, huge for us. If you have a great employee and you refer someone, you have something to go off of versus, you know, no experience with that individual. So that's always helpful too, but we would want to see a resume. LinkedIn profiles are often outdated. They're not always maintained. Resumes, your resume from a, like if as an advice, it should be a living, breathing document that you just keep fluid and update as you do things. So that's one of what, that's advice I usually give people. Keep a word doc of your of your resume and update every quarter some of your main accomplishments because it's hard to remember all those back. When mm-hmm. things happen. But keep that updated and then adapt it to the job posting. So if I have, you know, dog groomer on my resume, I might not necessarily add that if I'm applying for, you know, a banking position, you know, uh, it, but it's also telling. I sometimes you like to see that as a, sort of a, picture of a well-rounded, a lot of experience, but historically would always say, keep it to one page as we're looking at resumes. If there's a lot now, the candidate flow, like I said, is a little bit, is a little bit slower. So I think resumes are probably getting more inspection up front than they ever did um, in the last year, since the, since the dawn of all the online, you know, recruiting tools. That didn't exist, you know, 20 years ago. Now there, there was sort of this wave of keep your resume short, brief. Recruiters are only going to skim it to now if with less candidates, it, it's going to get more review. Probably. Well, absolutely. Can we shift? Sure. I want to talk about a couple of other things while we still have a few minutes. We have, you and I have worked really closely on building uh, performance evaluations and criteria for assessing throughput and, and mm-hmm. contribution to the organization. Will you talk about that for just a minute? Sure. Yeah, I think 
Now more than ever, we live in a world where you get instant gratification feedback, you get news travels fast and our workforce and employees want to know, you know, they want to get feedback. They want to know how they're doing because just like I can, if I want to know the answer to something, I can Google it. I don't have to wait around for information anymore. So I think as a result, that's created a more heavy feedback loop. And so having performance evaluations and real opportunities to share, hey, this is how you're doing. This is what I'd like to see you focus on. This is what I'd like to see you, you know, maybe delegate or or move away from. It's a great opportunity for employees to kind of understand where their value is kind of showing and also to ask questions and also understand where they need to reprioritize. It's a good opportunity. You should always be having those conversations about, you know, productivity. Tell me what your bandwidth is like. Are you, you know, do you have extra time in the day? Do you not have extra time in the day? So having a regular kind of cadence of communication in one-on-ones and things like that is, is critical, but additionally, it's good to level set in a more formal setting, you know, once or twice a year, maybe a few times, I don't know, kind of depending on the nature of the work. <clears throat> so we're, you know, we'll, I'm put, we're putting together a new kind of performance evaluation, annual performance evaluation process that will roll out here shortly to all of our existing workforce. And then we've also started implementing more regular performance kind of formal feedback sessions in onboarding. So it's like a 30 or 60, 90 day check-in, six month check-in, year check-in, because that first year is really kind of important to, to understand what your trajectory looks like within the company and what you want to kind of work toward. You don't know what coming in the door, but you start to figure it out after a few months. And, and it, if we can get someone on the right path initially, then it's amazing to see them just achieve. And if we don't get it right, then they'll get on the right path somewhere else. And it's a shame to lose folks. I mean, I'm always amazed at some of the folks that have been here at LSI. We have some amazing kind of 10-year stats. And there's some some people who've been here 10 plus years, many, many people who have done a lot of different things in the organization. So I wasn't here in the beginning, you know, of that time. Sean, I'm sure you've had the the pleasure of seeing folks just really evolve and grow in the organization. And I think people want to see that as an opportunity and it's a a key way to keep them engaged and, and satisfied. And then we also get to reap the benefits of this person who's grown and done so many great things. So having that opportunity for regular feedback and adjustment is, is really important. One of the things you and I talked about at uh, one of our recent uh, strategy sessions was that something that I've used for 30 years, I've always thought if I was applying for my job today, would I be hired? And it has kept me on a track thinking about what is it that I need to be doing if I was coming into the company cold, would I still be qualified and hired to do my job? 
And especially as the company's changed over the years, as we've grown, as the company's become more complex, have I kept my skill sets? Have I continued to adapt to the changes in the market and in the organization that I, I am relevant? And I think that having that thinking has kept me grounded and has kept me learning. It has really kept me continually motivated to ensure that I have the necessary skills and that I, my performance reflects that as well. So maybe that's a trick that not only are you having this uh, performance review from an individual's supervisor, direct report and coworkers and, but also they need to assess themselves. Honestly, if this, if they were applying for their job today, would they be hired? I think that's such a great way to kind of just level set yourself, you know, individually. Again, I love that when you mentioned it before, I remember jotting it down and thinking that's a good way to remind yourself because as soon as you think you have it all figured out, then you're wrong. <laughs> so well, and there's always room to adapt, you know. It changes so much. You're, you're, a company is not static for the most part, especially not our company. Mm-mm. And that the changes that happen in the marketplace are, we need to respond to, to those changes. Our company is very different today than it was even two or three years ago. And mm-hmm. our approach is different. And I mean, so continually asking yourself if you're relevant, if this, if your contribution to the company is, does, does the cost of your salary and your bill rate, even if that's organic, does that reflect the value that you're providing to our clients, to the organization? And are you still relevant in the company? It's, and that's a hard, very self-reflective process. It, it's hard to be honest and say, yeah, I am or, or no, I'm not. I see a lot of organizations where they may be at $30 million in revenue a year. They may be a superstar at $100 million a year. They may be in over their head. And to be cognizant of that in your performance, in your, in your day-to-day work, I think is critical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think that there's a level, like you said, of self-reflection required, obviously a certain level of integrity that you have to kind of adhere to and understand, like as an individual, am I being honest about, you know, what I'm working on and is that valuable? It helps to have that, those, you know, kind of conversations to make sure that you're in line and, and that you're you know, you're not focusing on things that aren't going to add value to the organization or that you're prioritizing things that will. And now more, I mean, it's so important to be agile and adaptable, flexible. I mean, those are all the buzzwords dynamic, you know, that we hear and 
like I mentioned to having some, some people that you've had here at the organization so many years, if I had to describe them, I would use those types of words is people that have, you know, they're going to get, they're going to figure it out and they're going to get it done. And they're going to make sure that they are providing a real value. I think finding a purpose in what people do can drive them a lot and, and making sure it's aligned to what the business needs is, is really important. So I love it. And I, I think it's important to also be able to kind of talk about those things with your manager, at least in a formal setting or, or however often and, and always be asking, yeah, what can I do to improve? What can I do to grow? We don't ever want to just stay stagnant. It's, everybody else will just leave you in the dust. So I think it's important to continually try to improve. Even if it's incremental, it's still progress, right? So Absolutely. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to speak to a group. And uh, at the end of this discussion, someone asked me a question about what I thought of the virtual work environment, work from home. It was um, sort of a visceral response when (laughs) it just, I mean, I immediately said, whatever economies of scale and and efficiencies that were achieved during the work from home era, it was eclipsed by the loss of the other intangible things. And... And I think there was a lot to that. I I think that all of the good things that people say come from working from home, I can tell you, I can show you that that this loss of collaboration and creativity from working with each other has been lost. And I'd love your thoughts on this. You and I have gone the rounds with a lot of individuals in the company who said, great, you're, I'm going to work from home or I'm leaving the company and have taken a hardline position on this topic. And I mean, I know that this, I, <laughs> five years ago, would you have ever thought this would have, this would have been one of the big HR issues uh, today? I mean, we, we yeah. saw some of this happening some time ago and it just escalated over the last three years, almost three years due to COVID. But I'm interested in your your thoughts and your position on work from home. I will agree with you in terms of there there being some some intangibles lost with going home. I came, you know, I'm I'm not going to out myself, but I will, I am an older, older millennial. (laughs) My first job, I walked into the door and, and said, Hey, are you hiring? Can I fill out a job? You fill it out in front of the people that are working there. It's really awkward and uncomfortable. So I didn't really work from home much until COVID. And then I was a hundred percent at home during the pandemic and personally had some challenges with that. Although I did have some flexibility to work from home prior to, it wasn't a, you know, I was stationed in an office like everyone else. And I think that as an HR professional going into that, I think we all kind of looked at each other and knew 
things will never be the same. Prior to that, I had worked with folks who maybe had a, an accommodation to work from home or they had an extenuating circumstance. It was at most organizations done, you know, based on, you know, individual, a case-by-case basis. Then to have everyone go home and businesses are still operating. So there's a sort of a sense of entitlement that employees develop thinking, well, you still made my, you know, I still did my job. I still worked hard um, from remotely versus in the office. So why, you know, why, why do I need to come back? I mean, that's obviously been a huge pull for a lot of organizations and that's been a huge challenge to overcome. I think the best thing to do is to really communicate and outline why it's important to be back together why it's important to an organization. And it's certainly role specific. There are roles that can operate from home or that really didn't operate, you know, cells, outside cells, they didn't really operate from an office in in the first place. So that's different than someone who's obviously say a receptionist, there's going to be differences in the role, but the organization, I think, on some levels, there's a responsibility to just share why, and here's here's the reason why. It's because we're missing these opportunities to collaborate. Where you're telling me that we're not getting a lot of a lot of information. Well, you're you need to be here. We need to talk. You know, let's have in-person meetings. We're not able to connect. We've hired people in the pandemic that we've never met in person. There's a lot of really great kind of synergy that comes from working together collaboratively. So if it's a team dynamic that needs to be kind of expressed, there's an, a, there's a, there's like an element of teamwork or collaboration involved that, that makes it important. Or if it is role specific, obviously there's some roles that just cannot be performed remotely. They have to be there. I think for an organization, it's really just kind of sharing that. And I'm, I've always been told this before. I had a leader tell me once before, sometimes at what point does the organization get to say, you know, how much do I have to adapt? Can't you adapt too? So I think we, we asked our employees to adapt during COVID-19, you know, the pandemic, we needed them to adapt, to maintain. Now asking them to come back in the office, I think is totally justifiable if, if there's a reason that, people can connect the value to, right? Like this is how we can better provide value. I think systemically, or I guess on a kind of global level, there's opportunities for mentorship and kind of development that we lose out on if we're not at least having some level of interaction. You can replicate a lot of that with Zoom and, you know, Teams or whatever, but I think if an organization can provide really meaningful ways to collaborate, it, it's an easier sell, so to speak. And really, if there's challenges with productivity, questions about you know how work is being done, I think going back to the pre-COVID days, when we did approve work from home, there was some level of, you know, reward for good performance. There, there were certain stipulations that we could implement that said, hey, if, if you're underperforming, no, we need you in the office because we obviously need to do some more, you know, guidance and some more, you know, actual 
direction, providing actual direction that you can't really do remotely. But I don't think anyone's got it figured out. I think people are still trying to figure it out. I know a lot of organizations here locally have said you're coming back like it or not, most organizations that are finding success with that are offering a hybrid or flexible schedule, kind of of how we have here at LSI. We've said, hey, some positions you need to be there, right? Some positions you may not, but you need to be in the office, you know, have a presence and have these opportunities to collaborate more than not. But employees want the flexibility to say, you know, work from home instead of taking a PTO day if they have, you know, maintenance coming or something. I think what I've been really impressed with here is, you know, your ability to kind of flex and adapt because we talked about this, you know, since things started opening back up in April of 2021. And we have had folks say, I'm not going to come back. We finally got to a point where we said, look, we want you to come back sometimes. You know, we've got this big, beautiful building, tons of space. Let's use it. Let's collaborate. Let's get back to being together. And it may not work for all folks, but it, I think being able to, to accommodate kind of what their personal situation is, if they're still able to really deliver and do the job well, then, you know, I think we've been able to kind of adapt that way. I think what you said about the mentoring and building relationships, I could not have learned this job from home. I could not have learned this work from working from home. It's impossible. Uh, so I, to collaborate and work as a team and see what looks to be the, you know exceptional work is it's it's hard to do that mm-hmm. from home. I I had a one of my mentors told me you can't lead from behind your desk and I I just I think that we can't lead from a Zoom call. <laughs> I think we're kidding ourselves when we think that that's, that is the future of business. Um, I think that's true. I think it's good to have a mix, right? I mean, there's benefits to having remote, you know, capabilities, certainly when crisis like that hits, as well as if you want to, you know, kind of expand into certain areas or whatever, you don't necessarily need to open up a new office everywhere. You can kind of experiment with regional, you know, employment, things like that. But I will agree with you. I had many mentors early on in my career that I would have never, you know, progressed if I hadn't been able to just watch them, see what they do. I didn't even necessarily get a lot of well, FaceTime per se, but more so modeling behavior after that, because it was so important and like just so, so valuable to me. So I worry about the workforce that has not had an opportunity to get, you know, in, in that type of environment long-term, how's that going to work for them? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it won't be any impact at all. And maybe they, but I, but I, I'm also curious to see what the children of the pandemic, you know, 
that were forced to stay home and saw their parents stay home and then leave it, you know, um, it'll be really fascinating to see how that progresses over time. But I agree. I think there's value in being able to kind of mix with all different kinds of people. Yeah. I could get on my soapbox about, you know. Well, and you talked about this corporate spirit or I, I mean, this uh, sense of mission working together. And I, I mean, I, it is so difficult to build that spree when you, when you are, you don't know each other and you're not, you, you may have a few minutes a day on a team's meeting with somebody. There is no, there really is no substitute for working side by side with somebody on an important project and seeing that through and building these relationships. And I think that we're losing that in the United States. Uh, that well, And the workplace is where you can see different people and, oh and interact gosh. with different people for so many years. That has been the place, right? Maybe, you know, even if you think about it, your church might have a lot of the same type of folks. Now with social media and streaming services, I can watch only the things I want to watch and nothing else. I can filter out my feed so that I don't see, you know, even opposing political beliefs. And so at one, at what point do we get ourselves into this kind of secular living that other opportunities like an office? In fact, I was teasing with you about the show, The Office earlier today, but it is, it's such a great representation of, which is not PC today at all. So don't quote me. I do not support the office in 2022, <laughs> but, but you're it's so representative of different people. You have a Meredith, you have a, a Toby, you have a Michael Scott. I mean, they're just, and my family is all very much, you know, one way I don't get a lot of exposure to different folks. So I appreciate learning from people that I wouldn't necessarily come across, you know, in, in a secular kind of world. And maybe this is creating the polarization in the United States is exactly what you said is as individuals are working from home, they're self-segregating, right? They're, they're, they are exposed to less diversity and, and they're not, they, they don't have these opportunities to work with really diverse individuals and it's it, it it very well could continue to escalate or unravel the fabric of America uh, through this self-segregation that we call work from home and that's kind of like a that's kind of like a oh, what's the word morbid kind of <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I think concerning. Yeah, it is. And, and like, like we were saying, even on a lighter note, it's under, it's, there's value in that, you know, some, I think about people I've worked with that I never would have ever gotten to know outside of that sort of setting and how much I learned about different people, different cultures, different values. I think there's a lot of value in that too. And you know, I don't know if in a remote capacity it's as impactful. I don't know, but I've always told my kids that 
you are going to learn more from travel than all the time that you spend in school. And I've, I've tried to instill that in them, that I've often thought there'd be no wars <laughs> if we had this opportunity to travel and immerse ourselves in other cultures. And, uh, and, and I, I think that at a small scale, that, that this is what we're talking about in bringing together individuals with, with different ideas, different experiences, different age um, demographics. And I think there's a lot of value to, to this. Also, I, I, you know, I've, I have four daughters that are all now, um, with the exception of one, in the workforce. And Emma, my, my daughter that is just finishing school, and she's, she's in nursing school. She's has one semester left, and she has, over the last six months, she's been working in these various uh, different nursing settings. And one of the things I've loved about what she said is she, she said, I can't believe how fun work is and that I'm meeting some really great people, and, I'm, and she's building friendships. And I just, I've been watching her experience that and I just I, I think that uh, that is such a it is important it's an important part of of work is having these relationships and friendships and and having fun that it's not just you know I'm gonna show up and do a zoom call every Wednesday and that that's my interface with my team <clears throat> so well Jess, thank you for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. And there's, I, I knew that we weren't going to get through everything I wanted to discuss with you. But as we wrap this up, do you have any questions for me that you, I, I mean, I try to give our team an opportunity to ask me questions. What questions do you have for me about anything? Anything. Not anything. Anything. I'm just <laughs> yeah, I do. I would like to, I, I'm curious what you see our workforce, you know, adapting to in the coming, you know, 10, 20 years. What do you see LSI's, how do you see LSI's workforce evolving? I think it's, I, I've had this unique experience where for most of my career, although I've been the CEO of this company. I've been the youngest member of the team. And now I've got this interesting position where I've become the one of the oldest members of the team. I see our, our workforce changing just in the approach and engagements that we are working. So much of our work is economic development, social impact. And you, you said something earlier in our discussion that, uh, you know, we're not, we don't value education or degrees, not education, but, but actual degrees like we used to, that criteria for being hired was you have to, you had to have a master's degree or you had to, you know, you had to have a degree in a discipline. And I think what I want to 
to see is someone that is creative, someone that's going to work hard, somebody that is going to figure stuff out. And so I, I think it will be a different individual than the than historic LSI executives. Many of our executives over the last, since, you know, since I've owned the company, the last 30 years, and even more so previous to me acquiring the company, was a lot of government and military. And we have brought in amazing industry executives that did not have 20 years, 30 years working for the federal government who have done amazing things, that have brought fantastic ideas and and real creativity into the organization. So, I mean, I, I think that it is going to be very different. Our, I, I think in looking back at our history in the last 50 years, I mean, it, it has been a primarily male-dominated workforce, not by design, but just that the organization has typically hired former colonels and former Navy captains. And historically, those were white men in their 50s and 60s. You look at our workforce today and how diverse it is, how many women serve in executive positions in our company, that wasn't filling a mandate. It was hiring the right person for that position. So our workforce looks so different than it did 30 years ago when I acquired the company, and I think it will continue to change at uh, in a, lo- a lot of different ways does that, does that make sense yeah. no I think that I think it sounds great I love it I look forward to you know <laughs> Wait, let me just say one other thing we had because I love that that makes me so happy we, we had we um I think I told you this we had a client that said oh my goodness so m- many of your executives in leadership positions are women and how did you make that happen? <laughs> I said, we hired the right person for the position. It wasn't, we weren't looking to hire, or, you know, or fill a, a, a mandate, fill a quota. It wasn't, it was just that we looked to hire the, the right person for the position. And so I, I just, I think that, like I said, our, our company looks so different than it did 30 years ago, and it's going to look, in the next 30 years, it's going to look significantly different than it does now. That's great. I mean, it continued to evolve and, and shift, and like you said, even up front, if we're stagnant, we won't continue to grow, so that makes that makes a lot of sense. I love it. Jess, thank you so much. Uh, just I want you to know how appreciative I am of your work and your team. And you and I just did your <laughs> performance evaluation last yeah. week. And uh, I mean, so when we talk about this, I I'm, I do this with our team, with my team, with my direct reports. And I, I told you, I, I love your work. I love working with you and you 
brought so much to our company. Uh, I really admire you as a person, as a mom and a daughter and a wife that uh, somehow balances all of these different roles and uh, you're always so calm and professional and I just, I really admire um, you so much and I love working with you. Well, thank you. I love, I love working with you. I love being here. I love all the great folks at LSI. So it's been, it's been great. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you.